because everything seems to be so partisan these days, it's really hard to bring all the stakeholders to the table and have a really productive conversation, which is really unfortunate. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Cabot Talks, the occasional brother versus brother dis- debate about politics in California. Did I say that right, John? Brian, you always say things so eloquently. That was Thank perfect. you. That's that's my little brother, John. John is the conservative Republican person in the family, and I'm not. Yes. Brian just has not seen the light yet, ladies and gentlemen, but one day, one day. Right, sure. So you're in the wrong state, John. But let's get started with let's get started with our podcast today. John, you want to introduce do the honors, please? Yes, thank you. It is my pleasure to introduce a very special guest of Cabot Talks today, Marva Diaz. I've known Marva for many, many years back in the state capitol days. Marva is incredible. She is the president of Marva Diaz Strategies, but she's also the co-editor of the California Target Book, which is the go-to publication for what's happening in California races. She has more than 23 years of experience, both in the public and private sectors, on the left and the right. I remember working with Marva, Marva knowing her back in the day when we were dealing with the minimum wage issue. She was working with Assemblymember Sally Lieber, if I'm not mistaken, and I was with the Restaurant Association. So we were a little bit on opposite sides, just like Brian and I tend to be once in a while. And it's great to have Marva back. She has worked not only with folks and both union organizing, but she's also worked with business groups. And I think starting her own business, she realized she understood and she saw the light a little bit more towards the middle as well. (laughs) But Marva's great. She has managed more than 600 campaigns, both at the state and local level. She understands strategic planning. She understands what it takes to be a job creator. But she also understands what's happening in terms of the majority of our state, which is on the left. So Brian and I thought this would be a perfect guest. It's great to have you. And Marva Diaz, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's all, let's kick off by starting talking about where we are right now. So we're recording this at the very end of March, beginning of April of 2022. We're talking about the state of politics in California. We've got this great resignation. At last I counted, there was what, about 28 people who were either leaving or had left and uh, their seats are up for grab. We've got a new redistricting plan in place. We've got some of these races are interesting because they look like Dem v. Dem. And let's just sort of go through where we where we see things now. And, and Marva, why don't you start by telling us, you know, your personal perspective on things? Sure. Happy to. Thanks again. You know, this is such an unusual year. There, with redistricting, every single member of the legislature has to introduce themselves to a whole new set of voters, right? Some members got super lucky and the new voter block is very, very small, but in other cases, it's a huge portion of their districts. And so I think with that change, a lot of the legislators got super freaked out, right? They that's an artistic term of art, super freaked out. Just want to highlight that. They just didn't want to have to expend uh, resources and time introducing themselves to a whole new block of voters for just two more years in office. And so what that created was a lot of the members, especially in the assembly, deciding just to give up the last couple of years. Those of us in the third house, we, we call the third house the public interest groups, the lobbying core and and representing businesses and lobbyists, our unions and all sorts of other entities, we're not prepared for this mass exodus, right? So there's all these races going on. To your point, some of them are Dem versus Dem. 
those are definitely the, the most contentious ones. But we're seeing that that kind of leaks into the, into the business of the capital and on the policy side because they're introducing bills that get those good headlines. They're trying to figure out how they can get as much of that budget surplus money back into their district so they have something to talk about. And they're really trying to be the person to become the leader on a certain issue in order to um, propel themselves into headlines and to propel themselves in the front of their caucuses um, so that they can then be someone that their their colleagues all support when they're facing these types of races. So it's a really very interesting time right now. I'm finding the interesting races are some of the Dem v. Dem races are who is more progressive and more liberal. And I think right. some of them are exactly the opposite. They're, you know, who's more closer to center than than the other than the what are you seeing in that regard you know you're completely right there are some incumbent democrats that are being challenged from the left so those they used to be bernie crats some of them are calling them now socialist democrats but definitely those that are further left on the spectrum running against incumbent democrat legislators and then in other seats for sure there are people who have been moderate Democrats, but now their their seats are even more conservative than before, and they're getting into races against Republicans. So, for example, Ken Cooley in the Sacramento area, we all know him, have known Mr. Cooley for many, many years. We know how hard he works. He's done a great job in the legislature, yet he's facing an opponent who is a Republican and has a real shot at this seat because his district was drawn in a way where it is a much more conservative seat. So in the Dem versus Reap is not gone. That's still an, in play. But what I, I, for me, what I find most interesting is this far left wing of the Dem party coming in and challenging these Democrat incumbents because it's really screwing up the way that business is done inside the Capitol. I mean, what, what, in, what is going on behind closed doors with Democratic Party leadership? I, I mean, I could go on and on, trust me, about the Republicans. So you'll make never no, know, what, make no you'll mistake, never know what they're doing behind closed doors, John, because you're not invited. That's true. Yeah, that's true. They, there, are, there are 16 police officers lined up knowing I'll be there. No, they wouldn't be there because the Democrats have defunded them. Anyway, but I would say that what is going on behind those doors with leadership? Is there still a lot of bloodletting? Are they are they trying to find a way towards the middle to get some wins? Are there more ideologues in the party that are just, just making that difficult? What, what do you think is happening with those discussions that, that I am not invited to, as Brian said? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm, I should say I'm also not invited to those discussions, but I do have, I, I am watching it unfold and, and definitely have conversations going on with various people. You know, I think leadership has done a really good job of making nice with as many things as they can. So, for example, Melissa Hurtado and Ana Caballero, um, at one point they were going to be running against each other. They are both incumbent state senators. There were conversations that must have happened behind closed doors because Melissa Hurtado decided to switch districts, and now there's not an incumbent versus an incumbent. Same thing happened on the assembly side. Adrian Nazarian in LA and Laura Friedman were going to be running against each other. Nazarian only had two more years, and something must have happened because he decided not to seek re-election, and so that satisfied that Dem versus Dem race as well. So I think behind the scenes, they're doing as much as they can in order to not have any sort of um, infighting within the caucus. 
Well, I, another I'm, thing I'm, that I think is happening behind closed doors, which is probably the most interesting for you guys, is you know there's there is this wing of the Democratic Party that's not as mainstream as the members of the, of the, the legislators themselves, and I think it's a hard line for them to walk in order to be responsive to their districts, but then also not ruffled the feathers of the Democratic Party leaders too much. Those delegates, for example, they hold a lot of sway over whether or not candidates get the Dem Party endorsement. And I think that the legislators themselves that are running for re-election want to make sure they get that Dem Party endorsement. So they're they're constantly walking that line of practical legislation and and making sure that they satisfy those delegates. Well, I was going to I was going to go back to the dream Nazarian Laura Friedman race, which was, you know, going to shape up to be a very expensive one. And you've got a dream who's got two more years. And I think he made a wise decision to step down now and, and not run for a second term and or is, is his final term, really his sixth term. And instead, because he has his eyes on the city council in Los Angeles, he looks to like the likely success for for Paul Kikorian's seat. And for Adrien, he can, you know, save his powder. And I think what I told him was, I said, you're going to become the Anthony Portantino of the L.A. City Council, because as we all know, Anthony Portantino was running for three or four years before he actually ran for state Senate. So we built up a huge war chest. So smart decision for him, but they're all over the board. I mean, we had somebody who resigned and said, like sort of your nightmare employee of your office who comes in and says, today's my last day. It's been nice working here. We had we had one member who assigned like who resigned like that. Right. So that was that was strange, very strange. But but my my working theory is that there are people in the state who are very progressive socialist, very progressive people. But I think most Dem voters are, you know, probably just slightly left of center. And when some of these candidates seem to come out and have, you know, incredibly far left progressive views. I don't know how it leaves the voters. What do you think? You know, it's a good point. And I actually see it on both sides of the spectrum. I think that there are leaders within the Republican Party, for example, that are far more right than a lot of my Republican friends, right? I think it's something that everyone balances at the end of the day. The party as a structure is there as a fundraising mechanism They are there to rile people up and get people enthusiastic about campaigns and elections. And in in terms of that, both parties do a really good job, right? They, They say the right things. They do the right things in order to energize their base. But it is it is a tough time to be a California state legislator because the parties have seemed to move in 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 extreme direction both ways. So Everything seems a little bit more extreme this, these days. Everything seems more partisan than it used to. And maybe I'm getting old because I'm thinking about the good old days. But when I first started as a staffer in the legislature, yes, I staffed minimum wage bills, which are hugely partisan. But I also worked on a number of pieces of legislation that were substantial pieces of policy where we had to work with both Democrats and Republicans. And that is a very hard thing to do these days. I just, I don't see it happening on any of the fronts. 
you know, one of the voting blocks that we really need to talk about are the undecideds, the decline to states, you know, Marva. I mean, that is a big chunk of those folks out there who, you know, they're, they might be lean left on some stuff, right on some stuff. But what if you can narrow it down to two or three of those issues, those fundamental issues that are that voters that decline to state, those really big chunk of people out there who are still sitting on the fence. What's that going to be? What are those issues going to be this year? They're really going to draw people in that both the left yeah. and the right are looking at. Yeah, I I think it's housing and homelessness is really at the top of the list across the board. I think Democrats, Republicans, undecideds, they all see this as a problem. De- regardless of your party affiliation, it's hard to find a house right now. It's hard to find a house to buy. It's hard to find a place to rent. There's just simply not enough options. And I think it doesn't matter if you are you know, making $500,000 a year or $50,000 a year, it's just hard to maneuver. Obviously, it's easier for the person making half a million than 50, but still the the problem is persistent. And on homelessness as well, I mean, I don't think anybody likes to see homeless people suffering on the streets. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. I think what's hard is how to solve those problems is really kind of the, the thorny issue. And because everything seems to be so partisan these days, it's really hard to bring all the stakeholders to the table and have a really productive conversation, which is really unfortunate. I mean, this past couple of years, what we saw was once the once their businesses all reopened after COVID rules lifted a little bit, you know, all these retail thefts were just spiking and it wasn't didn't the democrats cared just as much as the republicans it was not um an issue that where any party one way or another said oh that's not a big deal but i think what was so difficult in finding solutions is making sure that all the interested parties came together and had productive conversation and that's really that's really at the crux of it regardless of party and regardless of undecided votes it's just this overarching partisanship, and it's a it's a race to get the headline as opposed to sitting down and doing the really hard work. Marvin, do you think that there is going to be a problem up ahead for the Democratic Party uh, with in California? You know, when I first started, there was there were very competitive races, right? There was always race for power in the assembly, race for power in the Senate making the the statewide seats for Dems and REITs were both there. Now it really is a supermajority in the assembly, a supermajority in the Senate. Democrats hold all the statewide offices. The Democrats may lose votes, but I don't think they lose seats um, because I think that there's just, the numbers are so lopsided. There are so many more Democrats right now than Republicans. Um, but I just don't see seats flipping like that. But I do think what it does is um, it makes in those races where they're they're very competitive, Dem versus Reap, I think that it makes it so that you have to come to the table and talk to the other side. So that part's good. We just don't have as many of those seats as we used to. Yeah, you know, and my brother disagrees with me on this for sure. But I I, I have the theory that one of the reasons the Republicans lost ground in California was back in the days of Prop 187. Absolutely. And I think they lost a generation of particularly Latino voters 
who said, who threw their hands up in the air, you know, people I think that would be a perfectly good target for a moderate Republican group that I think would be a good target. I agree. I was young when Prop 87 happened. I was in junior high. Thank you. My parents, I come from a Mexican household and I remember those commercials vividly. I was in sixth grade and those commercials came on TV and my parents were Republican at the time. They were very fiscally conservative, very Catholic family. Those commercials made my mom cry. And my parents are both Democrats now. And I can really pinpoint back to it of that's when it's shifted. That's when the shift happens and they will never go back to that party because of those commercials. Unfortunately, I, and I stand today and say, you know, I think a lot of voters on both sides of the aisle understood where Pete Wilson was going with this, right? Health, right. education, corrections, they were bursting at the seams. This was about making sure that we were getting our own house in order and doing it right. Unfortunately, uh, it's, you know, be careful who surrounds you or who you surround yourself with. And unfortunately, right. having worked on, on the Wilson reelect, a lot of these groups were fringy, right center, and even, and I would say, racist groups that, that would, did not, Pete Wilson did not subscribe to that. Unfortunately, well, I, it's, it's when you're in that circle and you're advocating on this front and you're trying to get the right message out. Unfortunately, you get some fringies out there, just like many of the folks on the left. Right. You get those that you do not invite to the party who screw up the message. And that I, yeah. I absolutely do believe. I think what's surprising about it, though, John, is that the Republicans have also been extraordinarily brilliant at the soundbite. And that was one effort. I mean, we're obviously going back quarter of a century now, but that was one effort where the Republicans kind of blew it on the soundbite. They 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 could have come up with something else, some other messaging for it, because it came out as and still is. I mean, here you have somebody who was in junior high school back then uh. and still remembers it. <laughs> and it comes out as as this sort of anti-Latino measure that that came out in California and and has, you know, sort of disastrous results. And I'm not saying that the 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 left isn't responsible for the same kind of gaffes over the years, but it, it it was a biggie. And, you know, not that California wouldn't have gone extraordinarily left anyways, but it certainly didn't help. Yeah, well, both I'd say both parties have some very skilled PR consultants and messaging strategists who throw those bites out, Brian. But I, I you know, I would. But one of the things, Marva, is we're looking at this year. Is is speaking of the Republicans, you know, we had Scott, mm -hmm. Senate Republican leader Scott Wilk on. We've had, you know, others from the, the right side, the left side. Is there any hope for the Republican Party? And what or maybe a better question is, what's the pathway for any resuscitation, any pulse for the Republicans in California? God, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, just to underscore this. I mean, we have very skilled politicians. Scott Wilk, I'm a big fan. I've, I've been a fan of his for a long time. I think he's extremely smart. He's extremely skilled. He works hard. He picks the right issues to work on, but it's really hard for him to get any traction because things tend to be so fragmented. And he's in the house where I feel like the pro tem is a very, does a very good job of trying to be as inclusive as possible. She works with both sides of the aisle and, she, and she's definitely a leader to to try to replicate as many times as we can it's so difficult to put a, your finger on what they could do to change it dramatically i feel like it's a hundred little things to be honest with you i mean back in the day when we would do voter registration drives even i feel like the democrats invested the time and energy to do it right right they yeah. they they did focus groups. They figured out what they needed to say to get people to register as Democrats. And 
at the time, I don't think the Republicans and talking to people that were in the party at the time, I just don't think they invested that kind of time and effort. I think that that's just an example, not that we're doing voter registration drives in, in huge masses right now, but it's just an example of different ways to approach a problem. And I feel like overall, the Republican Party needs to take a step back and look at what they're doing well and what they're not. I feel like their leader, Jessica, has done a great job of starting to do that, but it's just such a massive task. I just don't think it's going to happen overnight or even in a couple of years. Uh, and John, I, I think the I think the Republican Party does have a message that will resonate with California voters better than it does. I think part of the problem is it's got five ton orange anchor around it. That's one problem it has in California. People look at Trump and they they say, you know, I can't I can't go there. So they've got to distance themselves with a national platform. But I think they've got a lot of good things that they can try to explain and sell to people, you know, taking care of families, protecting people in their personal lives, making sure that small business, there's a hat off to you, John, small business issues. I, I think that they can sell those issues very well, that they're not trying to tax people to death. And, and I think that that is an issue, a good message that they can deliver. I just, you know, I agree with Marva. I don't know how you package that and start messaging it, but it, it's out there for, for somebody, some skilled person to, to take on. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm weeping some crocodile tears right now, but it has nothing to do with the Republican Party. It's, it's I'm still thinking about Marva was actually in junior high school when I was working on Pete Wilson's reelection. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time getting, I'm going to need therapy for that one. I think Brian might too. Good Lord. No, I'm just old. <laughs> Marva, let's talk about just some of the ballot measures for this 2022, you know, November cycle. What, what is going to be, what's hot? What's, what's, what, what do you think is going to be on, on voters' minds? What's going to be on the ballot, do you think? And, and what do you think is going to be the outcome, if you can predict that? Well, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've been hanging out with friends and the first things they always bring up are those gas prices right now. Everybody is just getting sticker shock at the pumps. So I just feel as though that if, if they stay as high as they are right now, or gosh, I don't even want to think about if they actually even go higher, but those high gas prices, I think will drive a huge amount of the conversation. People are just struggling to pay that much money just to drive to work or drive their kids around sports or picking up again. It's just, it's really too expensive. I can tell you in my car, I spent $120 to fill up my tank the other day. It was quite the ouch. Hey, I know there's global factors involved, but look, the gas prices are going to continue to surge. We're seeing a supply chain disruption. We're seeing inflation. Let me just ask you objectively. I mean, we've got, look, the Democrats own the, the corner office in the Capitol. They own the White House. So you know, are, are, are voters even here, Marva, going to say enough is enough? My goodness, my gosh. We've had a number of years here. We've seen these prices surge. My, it's my pocketbook at the end of the day. It is the economy, stupid. Are they going to get pissed off enough to say, look, it's look who's in charge? You know what I think is I think with these high gas prices, I think people are beginning to understand how important it is to look at state government and look at local government and how it impacts their lives. Right. Because every most of the time, the vast majority of voters, they follow the presidential campaign, mm -hmm. the, the national campaign, and they don't quite not that they don't understand, but they don't quite follow the local stuff as well. I think with the gas prices, they're beginning to understand, oh, that we have higher gas prices than other states because of our state legislature and our 
governor and decisions they have made over the years for one reason or another, it's time to kind of take a look. So I actually think it drives, it increases voter participation at the ballot this November. And I will say, I'm going to do a small little plug here, so forgive me, but I am an editor of the California Target book, and we are doing highlights on all the ballot measures from now until Election Day, because there are so many in circulation and such complex issues that we'll see. We're making a concerted effort to just kind of make sure everybody in our subscriber world and, and everybody else, that the, everybody knows what's happening on them, because they, they're pretty thorny. What's the website? Well, tell us, What's the website? Just real quick. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say for our eight listeners, please let them know how they can. <laughs> it's CaliforniaTargetBook.com, and it's it's a fabulous really- resource. In that, um, I, the best way I can describe it is, if you are a, a po- political nerd, you need this website because it has literally everything you may want to know about campaigns, elections, and ballot measures. It, so it's Marvin, this is too the, much information for me sometimes. No, that's that's okay. My mom right now, our mom's sitting there right now writing down. If she only knew how to go online, I'm sure she'd <laughs> be there at this moment. <laughs> so Marvin, let's uh, now. This is the fun part. We get to learn a little bit about you, a little bit of uh, sure. information about you. Uh, this is our lightning round. We ask uh, a, a handful of quick questions so that <laughs> our fun other eight stuff. listeners can learn learn a little bit about you. So John, you want to start? I would. I'd love to. Okay, Marva. What, who is yeah. your favorite movie star? Oh, don't say Will Smith. Don't say Will Smith. Denzel Washington. Okay. Yeah. So if you were going to go on a trip right now, at this very moment, you got in your car, you drove to Sacramento International Airport, where would you go to? Anywhere in the Italy. world. Italy. Italy. With Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> How was Mrs. Denzel feel about that? It's fine. She can come too. <laughs> Not a home wrecker. Just want to spend some time with my favorite star. She, she's the equalizer. <laughs> but um, she, your favorite comfort food, whether it's with Denzel on a road oh, trip. Popcorn, buttered mm. popcorn. Yum. Can't beat it. I'm, in fact, now that I've said it out loud, I'll probably have to go make some after this. If you could own any car, what would it be? Oh, well, here's the twist on that. I'm actually not a very good driver. So it, I wouldn't spend a lot of money on a car. Cause I, I, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm the worst at parking. I hit two dumpsters last year alone. I hit that pole at the gas station. Yeah. I'm just, I can see your eyes getting bigger. I'm just not a good driver. What I would do is I would get a driver if I hadn't. <laughs> I, and it wouldn't matter what kind of car cause I wouldn't be behind the wheel. Okay, when you weren't turning off the TV from Prop 187 commercials, when you were in junior high, what was your what music were you listening to? What was your favorite band or music? Oh, you know, I was um, I was a throwback kid. I have older brothers and sisters, so I had all the Beatles albums, and I have a, I have most of it all memorized. The White Album was my go-to after school. Wow, Brian used to play the Beatles like. Like to where the the doors would come off the hinges in his room, with his. See, we have something in common. That's in yeah. complete a complete different generation, but that's okay. We've got that. <laughs> what was the favorite meal that your mom would make? That's a tough one. Oh, you know, she makes really good chicken and dumplings, and I don't know how she does. I've tried to replicate it. It's she does it so fast, and I've asked for the recipe, but she she measures everything in her hands. 
So it's two handfuls of her. You know, she doesn't spices. want you to know the recipe because she wants to be relevant to you for the rest of her life. She doesn't want that. She does not want you to know. I'm pretty sure that's true because I've asked her a few times and it's really just depends on what she has on the fridge and um, she throws it together somehow magically and it's always delicious. Just so good. Favorite cartoon character. That's a tough one. I was a big fan of the Smurfs. Okay. Okay. That okay. Works. So a lot of bad things came out of COVID, but get, tell us one good thing that happened to you as a result of COVID. You know, I just, I, I actually really loved having my kids home with me during the school day. We did themed lunches where, you know, we would get a country and we would do all the food of that country and we would play music videos from that country and things like that. And then we had fashion lessons where we'd all sit down and we'd watch Queer Eye for whatever they were in the world, you know, Queer Eye Japan or whatever. And um, it was just kind of fun to hang out with them and have these these lessons that I put together for them in addition to their regular school work just to keep them engaged. And so those are kind of the things where I never would have had that opportunity before. And it was really fun. We still talk about some of the things we did back then and it, it we made the best of it for sure. John, last question for you. All right. Who is your hero of all time? The person you look mm, up to. Gotta say my dad. My dad is, he was a chemist. He's a research chemist, had a PhD in chemistry. The first in his family to go to college, go through and get a PhD and was just really hardworking and still somebody I talk to quite frequently. And yeah, I look up to my dad. I have a lot of respect for that. Thank you very much. And thank you for being with us. John, final comments and thoughts from you? Marva, wonderful, wonderful having you with us. Thank you for putting up with my brother. Thank you for putting up with me a little bit. And it's just great to have you on. And again, if people want to check out certainly your website with Marva Diaz Strategies, as well as the California Target book, how can they check that out? Here's the egregious plug time. Absolutely. I would, I'm going to drive everyone to the CaliforniaTargetBook.com website. It is really a fabulous resource. Everyone, you are welcome to email me with any questions, marvadiaz at gmail.com. I respond to everyone. And I just want to thank you guys. You are so wonderful to be around. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for everybody for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in to Cabot Talks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Cabot Talks. If you liked what you heard, give us a positive review, a thumbs up, a high five, whatever. Leave a comment, share, and subscribe. We're two brothers, two opinions, one California. Capital.